Thank you, worship team. Good morning, High Point. Uh, my name is Femi Shakoya. I'm one of the elders here, and I'll be reading the scriptures. Would you rise for the scripture reading this morning? The scripture will be read from Nehemiah chapter 8, um, starting technically at seven, the end of 7, and we'll read 1 through 12, and then Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 can be found on page 690 of the Pew Bible. Hope you all enjoyed your bonus day yesterday, especially Diane Taylor. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masiah, and on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashum, Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them as he opened it. The people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And then we'll be reading Ezekiel, chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. This can be found on page 1332. Ezekiel 47. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out of the, through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, then led me through water that was ankle deep. 
He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord, written for his people. Good morning. You may be seated. Thank you, Femi. So many are probably asking, how in the world do those two passages go together? Nick's out of town, so I can do what I want. So my name is Mike, I'm part of the pastoral team here. Don't see me too much. Nick handles all the stuff that's on platform and, and the overall vision of the church, and I handle everything off platform. And so uh, it's a pleasure to make sure that ministries are, and the staff are, are serving you well, and that when you come on Sunday morning, the people in the nursery and Sunday school teachers, and the lights are on and sound worker, you know. It's, so it's, it takes a lot of people to as Lloyd was referring to last week, to allow us to gather together. Wasn't always the case, so we've, we've been in Nehemiah, if you're visiting with us. Nehemiah is a book of the Old Testament, and it comes right at the end of the people of Israel being led out of captivity. The temple was built, rebuilt in Jerusalem, and in 52 days they finished the wall. And so now the people have a place, they have a temple, but there's still something missing. And so they gather together to now do something for them internally. It doesn't matter if we have a building. It doesn't matter if the building functions. It doesn't matter if we're empty. And we need something from God, and that's the whole purpose of the building. It's not to facilitate a building, a piece of architecture. It's to facilitate what God wants to do in our lives. And so in the scripture it says that they came as one people, probably 42,000 of them. They came and they stood in front of the water gate. Now that's significant because it, it tells us something about what's going to happen. And the other place we find the, the term water gate is in Ezekiel. And there was a, a vision given to the prophet Ezekiel and, and Femi just read the last chapter of that, the last part of the last chapter of that, the culmination of it, 
And in Ezekiel, the people were desiring something because they were spiritually hungry. And in Nehemiah, the people have gathered together because they're spiritually hungry. They've worked hard, they've done the physical, they now have the security of the wall, they have the place to worship, but they have been absent from God for way too long. In Ezekiel, it says that, that out of Jerusalem will flow a stream. Now the water gate was there because it was between the temple courtyard and the eastern gate, and before you would go out, there was the spring of Gehan. And the spring of Gehan was the primary water source for Jerusalem. And so there was a large gathering place because that's where people daily came to fill their jars and whatever receptacles they had to take their water for bathing and for food and for drink. And so it was a place where they came to naturally, physically have their thirst quenched. But it was also the place that they're standing to have their spiritual thirst quenched. In Ezekiel, the water gate, the water begins to seep out and he takes him outside and he sees under the wall that this stream is becoming a river. And pretty soon it's so vast that everyone can get in. And wherever that water flowed, there was life. And Jesus picks up then later this theme of, of water. And it just happens to be that this is the, for Nehemiah's group, this was the first day of the Festival of Booths, and on the last day of Festival of Booths, Jesus says, come to me, all who are thirsty, and drink of me. He goes later to the woman at the well, and he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would be asking me for, um, to give you water, because it's water that never thirsts. So there's a theme that Ezekiel is explaining that's happening in Nehemiah's day there at the water gate. And they stand at the water gate, and they're in one accord, and then there's some very simple things that the Bible records. Now, usually every Sunday on this platform, there's a man of great intellect who has a rule, one more step deeper, and he takes us, not one more, not two more, usually 12 to 16 steps deeper. And, and we learn. But sometimes who we are gets in the way of hearing. Now, I was talking to a pastor yesterday, and we were talking about um, congregations and the preaching styles to different congregations. And he made the comment, he said, I don't know that anybody in my congregation has a college degree. Now, I almost didn't want to tell him, because he said, what's your congregation like? I didn't want to tell him that there are probably nobody that doesn't have a college degree. And many of them have graduate degrees. And you're here to learn. Now, a lot of us take notes. I take notes, so I pay attention but we expect to learn when we come to church. And that's a good thing. Many of your lives have grown deeper in the Word, and there's a richness in your beliefs and your values, what you know, who, what you know God has said to you. But at the same time, sometimes when it becomes the ritual of learning, it becomes refunctory, and we fail to listen with our souls. And I think there's something being delineated out in chapter 8 of Nehemiah 
that we need to pay attention to. It's not that the word isn't being preached, it is. And it's not that you're not growing, but sometimes there can be a disconnect between how we hear things and how it actually affects us bodily, mind, and soul. How did you, what happened to you when you had to stand today to hear the word of God? Some of you were probably mildly upset because you had to stop doing whatever it was you were doing or thinking about and stand up. But when you stood up, what happened to you? What happened to your mind? All of a sudden you had to focus, or at least that was the intent. You still were probably on, in the Bahamas or someplace you're going next month, I don't know. But when you stood, it called attention to what you were standing in front of. And it says, when Ezra opened up the law, the people stood. Now they stood because they understood where the law came from. It was God's word. And he read to them the Torah. Now the Torah, if you don't know, is the first five books of the, of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. From sun break to noon. So five or six hours are standing there. Some of you are starting to think in your mind and complain after about two minutes this morning because like, is this ever gonna stop so I can sit down? And they stood out of reverence for the law of, of, of God. And we're not accustomed to those kinds of things. We don't like to be told what to do. We take the word of God pretty casually. Oh no, we follow it and all, but do we reverence it? I was talking to another friend who spent time in the Middle East, and he was telling me about the, the callus that happens on a, especially a, a Muslim man's forehead that develops from putting their forehead to the ground seven times a day in the prayer mat. And the devotion. And seven times a day, the remembrance of Allah and the statements of Allah. And every two and a half, three hours, they go through this bodily activity to remind themselves out of reverence for something that the prophet had told them. And I walked away from that conversation thinking, what would my life look like if every two and a half hours a bell went off and a voice said to me, you're a child of God, his spirit flows within you, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're able to forgive and extend that love to others. His mercies are new every morning. And I began to think, how would it change my day if every two to three hours I had to bodily change my position to be reminded of God and his goodness? You would have a significant impact on me. And, and I don't think that these words got into scripture on accident. He says that they stood and then they said, amen, amen. Anytime you see a word repeated in scripture, it's for emphasis. 
Last week, Lloyd was preaching, and, and what's Lloyd always ask you? Are you with me? He's looking for a response. I remember preaching in uh, Rochester, New York, and it was a predominantly black congregation, and, and, and I loved it because they were all in the middle, and, and the white people were outside, really quiet. And the matriarch was sitting in the third row back, and she led the parade. And it was fun. It was the first time in my life I ever had an organist accompanying me. And you get into a rhythm, and you can't believe that I would actually get into a rhythm, but I did. And, and it was exciting, and it was emotionally charged. And, and afterwards, the matriarch came up to me. She goes, I'm sorry. Were you used to that? I said, no, but I loved it. It makes you want to preach. When we hear the Word of God, it's supposed to move us. It's supposed to engage us. It's supposed to change us. It's supposed to make us think. And then it says, they bowed their heads, they raised their hands, they put their head to the ground. And those were things that were happening while the Word of God was being read, and they were remembering how good God was. I mean, the Torah was their salvation story. It was about the God of creation, the calling of Abraham, Abraham gathering his, his people and, and taking off to a place he had no idea where he was going, but he was obeying God. And we know the stories of how they went, and, and they prospered and they rebelled and they wanted to be like other people and finally they're in captivity and, and Moses has to square off with the Pharaoh and God's amazing mighty acts happen and they get away through the walls of the Red Sea and they collapse and destroys Pharaoh's army and they come in and they're, they're promised these things and they begin to grumble because it's not convenient. And finally, the ones who were promised the promised land have died off they grumbled, they were never gonna see the promised land, but the kids get in. And then they look around and they realize, wow, they've got a king, we don't, we need a king. God's like, who am I? Yeah, but you're not here, we need to be like everybody else. Finally, they end up in captivity, now they're out of captivity, recognizing that God's wrath has put them there so that they would recognize who he is and what freedom actually looks like and is meant to look like. And they have the opportunity to reestablish the temple and to rebuild the wall, and they're standing now in the water gate. And the word is being read. And as they read the word, or hear the word being read, and they're responding to it physically, they begin to understand that God has pursued them and they have rejected him and in their rejection of him, he has pursued them. And they gave him very little honor and it didn't change God's heart. And they began to weep. And in their weeping, 
I've got about five slides that I haven't paid attention to, but that's okay. In their weeping, Ezra steps up and he says, this day is holy. Don't weep and don't mourn. Then Nehemiah steps up and he pretty much says the same thing. And it sounds kind of odd because they've just, they've recognized their sin. And yet Psalms 30 says this, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. When we come to God and we realize who we are in his sight, but more who he is, he's holy, he's just, and we are not. He doesn't hold that against us. When we recognize those things, he extends forgiveness. He extends mercy to us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he says, no, get on your feet and dance. Get on your feet and laugh. Get on your feet and be joyful. Nehemiah had just told him, go eat really good food and drink really good wine. And if you see somebody that doesn't have it, give some to them because this is the day of the Lord. I heard somebody say something. And they have just rehearsed their salvation story. And they have realized that in their sin, God has still pursued them to the point that the temple is rebuilt and they're standing in the side of the walls at a place called the Watergate. A place where God had said in Scripture something would begin to flow that would bring life to everyone who tasted it. Now, there's significance that they were in the water gate and not in the temple courts where the law was typically to be read. Because in the temple courts, it was just the men. But out here, it's where all could come. The men and the women and the boys and the girls. It says anyone who could understand. Because that's the simplicity of God's love for you. That's the simplicity of the gospel that there was something that began just outside of the walls of Jerusalem on a hill of Golgotha and blood flowed. And that blood symbolically began to flow so that all could get in. So that you and I today are dependent on that flow that started just outside of Jerusalem several thousand years ago. But the promise of Scripture was that that flow would bring about life. And there would be healing fruit for the soul. There would be nourishment for the soul. There would be a water that quenches our thirst to understand why we exist, who we are, and who God is. And he would answer those things in the presence and the work of Jesus Christ. And so the picture is there to help us understand why we are here. And today, this may be one of the shorter sermons you hear at High Point, 
Thankfully, I didn't hear an amen there. Because we're going to spend the majority of the rest of the service in worship. Now, I want to say a couple of things. First off, raising your hands, saying amen, bowing your head, touching your face to the ground, have nothing to do with what worship is. They're simply accessories that your body can use to focus you and help you express the goodness of God. If you're in a moment before God and, and it's, you're understanding your sin and, and who he is, it's not appropriate to raise your hands. That should be a time when, when your head is bowed, your knees are bent, your face is to the ground. Because while we have failed him, he has still pursued us, but we still are like the children of Israel where it was an on-off switch that was activated often. But if in your heart you're recognizing that he has pursued you and he's welcoming you back home, he's welcoming you in, then that is a time to raise your hands and say, thank you, Father. And there should be a consistency and a congruency between what your body is doing and what your soul is feeling. How many times does the psalmist instruct the body? Raise your hands, lift your voice. Recognize who God is and bow your knees. Three weeks ago, I was standing over at the Capitol for, uh, it was a National voucher, School Voucher Day, and there were about a thousand kids and they were, schools were singing and dancing and I was mildly bored and it's just going on in a conundrum of noise. The Capitol, it was just ringing. It was kind of a cool sight, but after an hour, it was like, we've been here before. And then the speeches started. And I started to get some involved, but the sixth person I got very involved in. And I noticed that I was standing shoulders towards him even though I was behind him and he was looking a bit away from me. It was the Vice President of the United States of America. And I had no idea that at the end of his speech he would come over to our side and work the rope. And as he handed his hand out to me to shake my hand, he had my full attention because I understood, regardless of politics, the office of the United States, or the office of the Vice President of the United States of America deserves my full respect, my full attention, and so he had it. Three months before that, it was a tailgate party Governor Evers was at, and as we were introduced, he had my full attention. Because it's not about the politics, it's not about the man, it's about the fact that he's one of 50 governors in the United States. He's the governor of the state we live in. He demands, through his office, the respect. I remember when I was in first grade, our class walked about a half a mile and we stood along Highway 99, just south of Everett, Washington, just north of Seattle. And we had no idea what we were doing except we weren't in school, <laughs> you know? And here comes this, these police motorcycles, and there must have been 50 of them, and their lights were going, and we thought that was the coolest part of the whole thing. And then these limousines started showing up, and then there was a convertible limousine, and there's a guy riding up in the back, and we're like, ooh, can we ride like that too? I had no idea the man's name was John Kennedy. 
But we raved the flags that they told us to wave, and I went on, and we talked about the sirens, not the guy. But I remember that moment because something was presented that was bigger than me, that demanded that we stand there. And they told us to stand still and be good, but when that kind of spectacle came by, it had our attention. And yet today, we've gathered as one people in front of God. And I think we've made God sometimes too much of a buddy. And while he is a friend that's closer than any other, he knows the depths of our hearts, he knows the secrets, he knows our shame. He still is the God of the universe. He's the God who displays the universe as his throne room. He's the God who uses the earth as his footstool. He's the God of all creation. And we are in his presence. And that should elicit something from us. And I think Nehemiah puts out these simple things in Scripture for us to pay attention to and to think about. Today we come to communion. And in a sense, this is our salvation story. This is a story of God the Creator sending His Son to rescue a people that had rebelled against him. Us, you, me. And he says, I love you. To the point where Jesus joyfully went to the cross because of you. Not to pay for his sin, but for ours. And just like the Israelites, that should cause our heads to bow because we are guilty. But just like the Israelites, God says, no, I own this day. This is a holy day. Today, we raise the toast. Today, we eat the bread. Today, we rejoice because God has spoken. God owns the day. He has saved us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus is quoted as he has shown himself to Paul and he says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he says the same about the cup. Today, if you haven't been with us on days that we don't pass out, but we, we come in to, we approach the, the different stations, we have a two-cup system. There's a cup in the cup. I've heard people say, I got the juice, but I didn't get the bread. It's there, it's just in the second cup. In just a moment, you're gonna be invited to come to a station, there's one here, here. There's a gluten-free station in the back, 
and then two on this side, one in the middle, and receive. And I ask that you do a couple of things. One, recognize that this represents our salvation story. This represents Jesus, who when we were failing, pursued us. And then he says, remember, participate in doing so. Doing so. Get up out of your seats and move to me as I've moved to you. Take the cup, take the bread, eat it, drink it. Physically do something so that your mind understands. Pay attention. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment to stand and to come and to take from one of the stations, take it back to your seat and contemplate. Take a second to be remorseful, but then take a minute to be glad of what Jesus has done for us. And then eat the bread and drink the cup. And then step into worship. Now, I honestly don't care if you raise your hands, if you bow your head, if you touch the ground with your nose or, or whatever you, you want to do. What I do care about is that you're consistent with your soul. You're consistent with your heart. And if your heart is applauding Jesus, then applaud Jesus. If your heart is standing before Jesus, then stand before Jesus. But let's not just sit and let it just slip by. Let's understand that we are body, mind, and soul in front of God. And he invites us. In the Psalms, he begs us to acknowledge him physically as we worship him. So, Father, we thank you. Gosh, Father, I know who I am without you, and it's not pretty. I can be an aggressive, hard man. But because of the cross, because of the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, I can be the man that you meant me to be. And that stands for all of us, Father. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead, conquered the grave, and lives and invited us into that life. We acknowledge you as Lord, but we celebrate you as King. In Jesus' name, amen.